On today's episode of the Conservative Crusader, incumbent Democratic Governor Phil Murphy calls on Kaya Torelli to concede the New Jersey governor election. Youngkin donated over 40% of his income to charity over the past five years. And the RNC announces a pride coalition with the log cabin Republicans. My name is GOP Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader. Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is GOP Josh 20. And my Instagram is also GOP Josh 20. I'm not very active on there, but follow me over there anyway. So the Murphy, Governor Murphy, Governor uh, Phil Murphy of New Jersey faced a very tight re-election campaign this past, uh, last Tuesday. The Murphy campaign calls on Kaya Torelli to concede New Jersey's governor election. This is from The Hill. The author is Max Greenwood. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's campaign is calling under his Republican opponent, Jack Cayatorelli, to concede last week's election, arguing that he no longer has a path to victory. Cayatorelli, a former member of the state legislature, has remained silent on the results of the election since last Thursday. The current vote count shows him trailing Murphy by 2.6 points, or a little more than 6,500 votes, 65,000 votes. While some provisional and mail-in ballots have yet to be counted, Murphy's campaign argued that it won't be enough to alter the outcome of the race in Cayetorelli's favor. The race is over, Molly Bonotto, Murphy's campaign manager, said in a statement. Assemblyman Cayetorelli is mathematically eliminated, and he must accept the results and concede the race. His continuing failure to do so is an assault on the integrity of our elections. When have we heard that before? When have we heard an assault on the integrity of our elections before? Back when there was fraud in 2020, and Trump contested the fraud of 2020. But Kaya Torelli's campaign said it would not concede the race to Murphy. In an email to reporters, the campaign said that there were still about 70,000 provisional ballots left to be counted, as well as an unknown number of mail-in ballots. Kaya Torelli's legal counsel, Mark Sheridan, said that while the campaign doesn't expect the provisional ballots count to put in Kaya Torelli in the lead, it could narrow the race enough to warrant a recount. We will make the decision to pursue a recount based on all of the facts, which includes that this is the first time New Jersey is conducting an election under new law using new technology and new voting counting procedures, Sheridan said in a statement. Sheridan noted that Cayetarelli's refusal to concede was not based on allegations of election fraud or malfeasance. The race between Murphy and Cayetarelli became unexpectedly close last week, despite pre-election polls showing the incumbent governor with a comfortable lead over his Republican rival. While the Associated Press and other news outlets have called the race for Murphy, the election was one of several that served as a warning sign for Democrats as they head into the 2020 midterms. Republican Glenn Youngkin defeated Democrat Terry McAuliffe in the race for Virginia governor, delivering a stunning blow to Democrats in a state that has moved in their direction over the past decade. Republicans are also poised to take control of the Virginia House of Delegates. Cayetarelli is in the right. This is the closest election... I think has been in New Jersey history, at least recent history. There could have been fraud. This is like he said, there's a new system. The provisional ballots and the mail-in ballots. And he said in a statement, let me see if I can find this on Twitter, in a Jack chat, as he calls them. Jack for NJ on Twitter. Let me see if I can play. How long is it? It's only like two minutes long. I'm going to play this because I think what he says here is important. 
Hey everybody, Jack Chitterelli here. Time for another Jack Chat. This might be the most important Jack Chat yet, so please watch and share. Two days ago, shockwaves were sent throughout our state and the national political world, all because a Republican was in position to win the race for governor here in New Jersey. Despite what the polls, press, and pundits were saying, I knew I could win. Why? Because every time a governor of this state has taken us too far off track, the decent, hardworking people of New Jersey have always risen up and said, that's not where we want to go. Currently, Governor Murphy and I are separated by about 1% after 2.4 million ballots counted. There are still tens of thousands of vote-by-mail and provisional ballots yet to be counted. And so, the governor's victory speech last night was premature. No one should be declaring victory. By last night, it was uh, November 3rd was the day he declared victory. Or conceding the election until every legal vote is counted. Here is where we stand. First, we're going to allow the 21 counties to continue with the process of counting every legal vote by mail and provisional ballot. That could take another week or two, and we've got compliance people watching over that. If necessary, any decision on a recount or audit will come at the very end of the county process, not before. Second, I don't want people falling victim to wild conspiracy theories or online rumors. While consideration is paid to any and all credible reports, please don't believe everything you see or read online. Third, you can report any perceived or real irregularity to the Voter Integrity Hotline set up by the NJGOP. The number is 609-288-2925. Listen, I know how passionate people are about this election and the future of our state. I am too. That's why I worked so very hard the past 22 months to win this election and get New Jersey on a different path forward. Right now, what's most important is for everyone to be patient and let the process play out. Know this. My team is comprised of some of the best legal and political experts in the country. I promise you, whatever the outcome, the election result will be legal and fair. You have my word. Hopefully, we'll be fixing New Jersey together. See you on the next Jack Chat. And that's the last we have heard from Jack Cayatorelli. Ky- besides, his campaign is going on ballot counting. That's That's about it. And I, what I what I what I gathered from that. Now you may think you may hear something different, and and let me know if you do. GOP Josh, uh, Josh at GOPJosh.com, anchor.fm slash the conservative crusader. Click the button that says message. But what I hear from that is that Jack Jack Cayatorelli wants to make sure every legal vote is counted, and make sure that if you cast a ballot for either him or for Governor Murphy. That your ballot will be free. Not free. It'll be fair. I'm sorry. It'll be counted. And he can make sure. And you can make sure. And his campaign can make sure. And the people of New Jersey. Can make sure that their election was fair and free. I don't think. Jack Cayatorelli deciding not to concede the election. Is a threat on democracy. I don't think him choosing to. Not concede the election is a thing, is something that's going to cause mass panic, is going to hurt everything that we've ever seen in the, in the state of New Jersey. I, I don't think that. I think him making sure that the, the, the campaign was free, that, that it was fair, is a very good thing. To make sure that the election was counted properly and every legal ballot is counted before he concedes in this in a race that's this close is a very good thing. A very good thing.
So speaking of very good things, Glenn Youngkin has released his tax returns since he has won the governor election in New Jersey. He is in the process of his uh, transfer of power. And the tax returns show Youngkin donated over 40% of his income to charity over five years. Tax returns show. Of his haul, $52.6 million went to charity and $18 million went to taxes. Man, that guy's a lot of money. <laughs> By Houston Keene on Fox Business, Republican Virginia Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin donated tens of millions of dollars or more than 40% of his income over the last five years to charities, according to a review of his tax return summaries. The Youngkin campaign released summaries of the former Carl, Carl, Carlisle Group Executive tax returns over the past five tax years, the Washington Post reported over the weekend. According to his disclosures, Youngkin made $127 million over the past five years. Of his haul, $52.6 million with the charity and $18 million to taxes. Additionally, last year, Youngkin made $39.8 million with almost $15 million going to charity and $6.8 million going to federal income tax. The Post reported that the Youngkin campaign did not disclose which charities the governor-elect has given to. It did not give the outlet copies of Yunkin's full tax filings. The Yunkin campaign also disclosed that 44% of the governor-elect's charitable giving went to the Foes Foundation, a religious nonprofit he and his wife founded. Yunkin and his wife gave around $23 million between 2016 and 2018, according to IRS fi- filings. The family's extensive charitable giving extends to many charitable organizations that they did not found, Yunkin's campaign said in a statement to the publication. Yunkin defeated former Governor Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe for the Virginia's Governor Mansion in an upset that saw Republicans sweep Virginia's top three executive spots. We don't need the government to redistribute wealth in order to have charity. Glenn Youngkin donated 40% of his income to charity. I don't think that that is... Socialism. Oh, oh, you're supporting charity. You're a socialist. Socialism is the dumbest rhetoric. But what it is, is him deciding that he wanted to give money to charity, so he gave money to charity. That that doesn't hurt anything. That does nothing bad besides gives money to charity, allows people who don't want to to not, and those people's lives are better. Those people's lives are better because he did give to charity. I don't think it's... I don't think it's a, a, a huge thing that everyone needs to give 40% of their income to charity, but knowing that he did and he decided to, that's not a bad thing. What may be the bad, a bad thing is Sean Parnell, who is a Senate candidate. He is a um, he is Trump-backed. And, uh, yeah, this, this could be kind of bad the way it sounds. This is an article by Ashley Oliver and Matt Boyle. The estranged wife of Pennsylvania Republican Sean Parnell admitted in June 2018 that Parnell was a good dad and asked her husband to watch their children. Despite having accused Parnell of abusing their children in two alleged instances earlier that year. Lori Snell was cross-examined Monday in a small courtroom in Butler County Courthouse just north of Pittsburgh about text messages she sent in June 2018 after the alleged incidents with the children which she claimed occurred in February and May of 2018. Snell claimed in a testimony last week that in one incident, Parnell hit a child in the back and left welts, and that in the other incident, Parnell slammed a door that hit another child's face and left a bruise. 
She also confirmed that she had indeed also asked Purnell, a now front-running candidate in Pennsylvania's race for U.S. Senate, via text message, do you want to watch the kids on Saturday night? She also called him a good dad in another text. Parnell's attorney clarified whether Chanel was comfortable with Parnell being with the children, to which Chanel said when they're in public, he's greater with the kids, emphasizing again later that she supports Parnell being around them in public. Parnell's attorney then asked why, if Snell had said Parnell abused the children, Snell would have asked him to watch them in the house that they own together, which is not public. She replied, it's pretty public. Your home is public? Parnell's attorney asked. Snell replied that security cameras previously installed by Parnell made it semi-public. Does she think just someone's going to just hack into the security camera and watch what's happening? Is that what she considers public? Because by that instance, everything is public. Commie. No, <laughs> that's a joke. But by that argument, everything's public. She also testified that she had went on vacation with the children of Parnell soon after the first incident of alleged abuse. <sighs> this sounds to me like I, I think she's the ex-wife. Or did, is she still married to him? Are they still married? I'm not sure. Son Parnell wife. I don't know if they're still married yet. I don't know if they're still married or not. I think they are. Sounds like to me they're in the middle of a divorce, a divorce battle, battle of some sort. And she's mad that he's successful because she won't be around. <laughs> Trying to take him down. And, and maybe the allegations are true. And if so, I don't think he would be the best candidate. But until the allegations are proven true, innocent until proven guilty... Prayers to Sean Parnell and his family, if that is true. Although I I don't see it being extremely true. It just doesn't seem like that'll that that it doesn't seem true to me, but I don't I don't know. I'm not in the instance. I'm not a member of the family. I'm really not sure. So we'll we'll have to see. My name is Jupy Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader. We'll be right back after these messages here on the Conservative Crusader. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. Welcome back. This is the Conservative Crusader. Gunmaker Remington moves to Georgia in a $100 million, 856 job deal. Gunmaker Remington Firearms will move its headquarters from upstate New York to Georgia with plans to open a factory and research operations there. Gunmaker Remington, oh, this is from ABC News. The author is Jeff Amy of Associated Press. New York or not New York, gunmaker Remington Firearms will move its headquarters from Elan, New York, to Georgia with plans to open a factory and research operations there. The company announced Monday that it would invest $100 million in the operations in, La- in LaGrange, Georgia, southwest of Atlanta, hiring 856 people over five years. It is not immediately clear what effect the transfer would have on Remington's operations in New York and Tennessee. The company owns the parts of the former Remington Outdoor Company, which makes rifles, shotguns, and some handguns after the former parent auctions its assets in pieces last year during a bankruptcy, a bankruptcy proceeding in Alabama. Investors doing, businesses at, at, doing business at the Roundtable Group 
purchased the Remington-branded gun-making business, including operations in Elan and New York, in Lenore City, Tennessee, for $13 million. Remington, the country's oldest gunmaker, began making flintlock rifles in 1816. It spun into a firearms conglomerate but faced slumming, slumbing sales, complaints about quality, and legal pressure over the Sandy Hook School Massacre. The current cus- companies no longer make the Bushmaker Master AR-15 rifles used to kill 20 first graders and six educators in the Sandy Hook shooting in Connecticut in 2012. Gunmakers have been leaving their tradition to the traditional homes in the Northeast as people there have become more hostile to guns and moving to the more politically welcoming setting in the South and West. We are very excited to welcome to Georgia, a state that not only welcomes business but enthusiastically supports and welcomes companies in the firearm industry. Remington CEO Ken D'Arcy said in a statement. And that's how it's spelled, not Darcy, but Darcy. No, actually Darcy. Darcy, actually, yeah. Okay. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp famously appointed a shotgun and another person at a campaign commercial when the Republican was seeking his current office in 2018. Okay. So this is very good for the state of Georgia. This is very good for other red states, and I don't think Georgia's a, a blue state yet. I, I don't think one election is enough to call it a blue state. I don't think it's a blue state. It's a red state. We're going to say it's a red state, okay, folks? Georgia's a red state. we got to be confident. We have to. <laughs> Georgia's a red state. Okay, okay, okay. And this red state, are they are getting a firearm manufacturer from the blue state of New York. And it's very excited for red state economies, for red state. Because people are saying... California, New York are so important because their economy, the economy. If more conservative businesses move out of these blue states into the red states, bring their Republican voting colleagues with them, the blue state economies won't be so important because other states will have built up their own state commerce, their own their own economies, and, and we won't have to rely so much on California, on California, on New York, for our economy, for our goods, for our services, if they can move to red states that they will be welcomed in. So big props to Georgia for moving their manufacturing down to the south, to the south, and their headquarters down to the south. I wish them luck in their future endeavors, and I hope they continue to stay afloat. January 6th committee. In the House, issues six subpoenas, subpoenas to top Trump campaign associates, including Michael Flynn and John Eastman. The House Select Committee investigating the deadly January 6th riot on Capitol Hill announced Monday it is issuing six additional subpoenas to top Trump campaign associates as it continues to seek testimony and documents from key witnesses in the sweeping probe. With this round of subpoenas, the committee is targeting top individuals from former President Trump's re-election campaign the panel says we're involved in promoting the lie that the presidential election was stolen. This is a CNN article, if you can't tell. Uh, Zachary Cohen, Ryan Nobles, and Annie Gray are from CNN. William Steph- Stephen, Jason Miller, John Eastman, Michael Flynn, Angela McCollum, and Bernard Carrick. Kirk? Carrick? Mm, he's a former police chief in New York during 9-11. He is being subpoenaed. On for the January 6th committee because he was in a meeting at the Willard Hotel centered around overturning election results. I, I think you know the majority of the names. Uh, William Stephen, who is a name I don't recognize, is a Trump 2020 campaign manager. 
John Eastman is an attorney who helped craft Trump's argument that the election was stolen. Michael Flynn, you know who Michael Flynn is. Angela McCollum is a national executive assistant to former President Donald Trump's 2020 election campaign. All six individuals are being asked to supply the committee with documents on November 23rd with depositions scheduled scheduled spanning the next week of last week of November into mid-December. In the days before the January 6th attack, the former president's closest allies and advisors drove a campaign of misinformation about the election and planned ways to stop the count of electoral votes. Select Committeeman Representative Benny Thompson said in a statement, The Select Committee needs to know every detail about their efforts to overturn the election, including who they were talking to in the White House and in Congress, what connections they have with rallies that escalated into a riot, and who paid for it all. Thompson added the Select Committee expects all witnesses to cooperate with our investigation. As we work together for answers for the American people, recommended changes to our laws that strengthen our democracy and help ensure nothing like January 6th ever happens again. If y'all hear my cable crackling, very sorry about that. I don't know what's going on with that. Have to look into getting a new cable, I guess. But that's not good. My monitor just disconnected. We're not having any, we're not having very good technical, a technical podcast today. Okay. Thompson and I, the select committee. Okay, we already said that. So January 6th is the Democrats' way of ensuring that they have electoral victories because as long as the Democrats keep mentioning January 6th like it was the biggest thing that happened in American history, the next 9-11 is what they're claiming it is. As long as they keep claiming that and they keep using that playbook, then Democrats will get out to vote. That's all it is. January 6th is not as as big of an event as people think it was. And, and these, um, these Democrats on this campaign using this as a way to... Using this as a way to get votes, to get people to vote for them is, is sad. I mean, using a tragedy, it was not a good thing. In my opinion, I think we, I, I, I'm going to say what I've not really said publicly. BLM had a problem with the government and a governmental agency, and they took it to the people and, and hurt the people. Republicans had a problem with the government, and they took it to the government. I don't think that... January 6th was as bad as the BLM riots. But because the politicians in power think it was as bad as, they, as it is, is the reason it's, it's being publicized so much, it's being such a big issue. Is because they make it one. And we're about out of time here on this episode, so I do need to talk about the Big story I promoted in the in the uh, in the intro, which is the RNC announces a Pride Coalition partnership with Log Cabin Republicans ahead of midterms. <sighs> the Republican National Committee announced its first ever RNC Pride Coalition over the weekend, partnering with Log Cabin Republicans to invest and mobilize LGBTQ communities ahead of the 2022 midterms. I have a question: What is conservative about the LGBTQ community? And you can't say, keep the government out of people's lives. That's libertarianism. That is libertarianism. That is not conservatism. The announcement came during the Log Cabin's Republican Spirit of Lincoln Gala, which took place Saturday night at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. 
and attracted a high group profile group of attendees, including former President Trump and former Lady Melania Trump, who was the event's guest of honor, and other prominent Republicans, including former actor director, former acting director of National Intelligence Rick Grinnell. RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, who was given the Majority Maker Award, said the RNC is committed to working with the log cabin Republicans. The country's largest Republican organization dedicated to representing LGBTQ conservatives and allies, calling the organization a partner to fight for our country's future. I'm trying to find a tweet here. As I read this, I'm trying to find a tweet. By Blake Masters, who is a, a, a Senate candidate in Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. And it was about the U.S. Navy naming a military ship after gay rights leader Harvey Milk, and it's Christian by a Taylor, a transgender veteran. Not everything has to be gay. Not everything has to be gay. And this is a great example of that. If the log cabin Republicans want to do their own thing, fine. They should not be a national representative of the Republican Party. Now, I, I do want to clarify that GOP Josh is a catchy stage name. It is not. I do not agree with every single thing the corporate GOP does. I do not agree with everything the corporate GOP does, and especially not this. And Con Inc. does. President of the Log Cabin Republicans, Charles Moran, said the organization was involved in both the Virginia and New Jersey governor's races last week and plans to play an even bigger role on the ground in the midterm elections next year, hoping when Republicans back the House and the Senate. When gay conservatives are included, or he, LGBT conservatives are included in Republican campaigns, we win. Is it worth winning elections if we're going to compromise our, mor- our morals to do that? Is the one victory we get worth it if we're not going to fight for the values that we hold dear to our heart, that, that conservatives fight for? Is, is, is it worth it? Is to, I'm being completely honest. Is it worth it? to win elections if we're going to compromise our morals, compromise everything we believe in, and compromise what we were elected to do in order to satisfy a larger electorate. Because if we have Republican politicians who are phony conservatives, who are not the greatest conservative and that is who we are promoting because they have the support of the log cabin Republicans. Should we even fight for them? Should we even try to elect them? I don't think we should. If we need the non-conservative Republican organizations to fight for our candidates for us, we, we shouldn't be fighting for those candidates. And I doubt, I haven't heard anything about them being on the ground in Virginia until today. But I hear things that Glenn Youngkin is pretty traditional. And I don't think that the RNC should be giving a platform 
for these non-conservative organizations. And I'm not an avid donator to the RNC. If I donate, I usually donate to one campaign. I would not donate to the RNC today. I would not donate to the Republican Party until this is fixed. Until they get rid of this. Because this is anti-conservative. My name is JP Josh. This is the conservative, or this has been the conservative crusader. I'll be back tomorrow with a new episode. Make sure you check out my Twitter page, GOP Josh 20. My website is GOPJosh.com. My name is JP Josh. Thank you for tuning in today. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>